I asked Lexi, a student at University High School, if she'd sing one of her favorite songs from choir for me for the podcast. This was a little unfair, putting her on the spot, considering she'd just been tearing up. She was feeling really emotional because she had just come into the office of the Weld Community Foundation, where I work, to drop off a check for almost $2,400. This was money that she had raised through an event, a virtual 5K. She'd put it together as a senior project to benefit university's music program. This show, Weld Found, is about belonging in an age of social isolation and disconnection. It's made possible by the Weld Community Foundation, who encourages us to spread the good. Well, I want to offer some stories today that do just that, encourage us to spread the good. More on that in a moment. First, let's hear from Lexi and her mom. Lexi dropped off her donation a couple months ago and I sat down to record her and her mother after taking one of those pictures with the giant check. Yes, we have those around here. And Lexi's mom started telling me the story behind this fund they've set up at the foundation. It's called the Inessa Sanchez Memorial Fund. And it's a story that begins with a tragedy, the death of Lexi's older sister. Here's Lexi's mom, and then we'll hear from Lexi too. So, um, Anessa is my stepdaughter. She was the oldest of four girls that we had together, and she um, passed away her freshman year. She was 15. She went to university. Um, my our next oldest daughter, Jenea, a year after Anessa's death, did a 5K, an in-person 5K at Greeley West for a for an IV project, and um, she raised. I think it was around 3,000. And um, it might have been more than that. But um, the fund was set up, the Anessa Sanchez Memorial Fund was set up so that that money goes back to university, to the music department, because Anessa was, um, loved music. But Lexi also um, is in choir and has been really involved in um, choir at university. She's in the Tri-M, which is the, it's like a musical honor society. So she's in Tri-M. So it's really kind of good for Lex because Lexi goes to university and that money's going back to the music department, which she was a big part of while she was at university. I think it was pretty successful. It was a little bit hard to like keep track of everyone that had signed up but hadn't paid or like had paid but hadn't ordered a t-shirt. But yeah. I think overall it was really good. Excellent. And um, I heard you guys saying that you had people from all over the U.S. that, that helped out with this. Yeah. So some of my mom's friends from like Georgia, I think, and then one of my friends that I've known for a long time, her older sister lives in Connecticut and they did it. And I have some cousins in Virginia that did it. And the big California crew. Yeah, one of my cousins, she lives in California and she got a whole bunch of her friends to do it, like probably 20 people in California that did it. It's kind of hard to describe a feeling, but like, how does it feel to have put something on that um, gave more good to the world when it comes to like raising money um, to honor your your sister's legacy and um, and then also give back, you know, to this this music program? It feels good. I don't know. It it makes me really happy that I can do that. Sorry. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's nice to be able to do it, raise money 
for my sister and for that cause and be able to give it back to this to the music program which I really enjoy who do you picture when I say the word philanthropist in the past I pictured an old white guy in a suit maybe in a big office somewhere but working this job at the foundation it's redefined the modern philanthropist for me Here's Lexi Sanchez, a young female high school student raising money in memory of her sister that benefits a music program through a virtual 5K. Makes me question what I was doing with my time in high school. We'll be hearing more stories like this today, where someone like Lexi steps out to do something big to strengthen our community and people around respond in an incredible way, like the way Lexi's family and friends and friends of friends did by jumping in and joining her 5K from Georgia, Kentucky, and California. And then, of course, from right here in town, too, all coming together for this cause. Today, we'll be hearing stories of the crowd rallying to someone leading and making a difference. The title of our show is The Community Comes to the Rescue. We're gonna hear about a dinner party, a bakery opening back up after lockdown, and the birth of a radio station. Welcome, my friends, to Weld Found. Next up, we hear from a person with an incredible legacy in Weld County. I had the chance to sit down with Neil Best last year. He was the president and CEO of KUNC Community Radio for Northern Colorado and the Colorado Sound. If you listen to news radio locally, there's a good chance that you've tuned in to KUNC at some point. I've been listening for many years. I think I started with a show called This American Life that my wife suggested. Now I listen almost every day on my drives to and from work. After 47 years serving our community, Neil Best has just retired this past April. One of the greatest challenges and achievements that Neil celebrates is the dramatic transition KUNC went through in leaving the University of Northern Colorado and establishing itself as an independent radio station. He told me this story of community coming to the rescue and keeping the station local during our interview. Here's Neil. It was February of 2001. Uh, I got a call on uh, a Wednesday afternoon from uh, the vice president of uh, university relations, the secretary, saying, uh, Neil, our boss uh, wants uh, to meet with all your staff tomorrow morning at nine o'clock. And I said, well, we're on the radio, so some, somebody needs to be on there. She said, well, she needs to talk to everybody simultaneously. So we made it happen. She came down uh, to our offices and said, uh, tomorrow morning, the board of trustees is, go- is meeting, at which time KUNC will be sold to Colorado Public Radio in Denver. You will all receive 30 days pay uh, and we'll work for 30 more days. And after that, uh, the uh, um, the station engineer, Larry Selsley, and Neil Best will be kept on. I was the station manager at the time. Will be kept on for four to five months while the license transfer takes place. On behalf of the staff, I said, is there anything we could do to change this? And she said, uh, no, and left. My staff immediately wanted to, let's do a bake sale. Uh, you know, let's do an on-air fundraiser. And I said, no, 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 we, we, this isn't going to work this way. If this were to happen to somebody in Fort Collins or Boulder or Denver, how would we report this story? I said, well, we'd report it this afternoon 
in our next local newscast, which would have been at 3 o'clock at that time. I said, then that's what we're doing. I then went upstairs. Is there any chance that this could be changed? I mean, the community's been very supportive over the years. And Kay said, Neil, you should have been working on this in the past. I said, well, I work for the university. I, I, you know. uh, so I told her that we would report it at 3 that afternoon. Uh, I went back down. I told my staff, you can be in touch with your families. Tell them that this is going to be announced so they don't get surprised. And then I reached out to our community advisory board. And uh, uh, which was uh, chaired by uh, Pat Thomas, uh, a member of the community. Uh, and we broke the story at three that afternoon. Um, and um, by five o'clock, I had been interviewed by every newspaper from the Denver Post and the Rocky Mountain News in Denver to the Boulder Daily Camera, the Longmont, Loveland, Fort Collins, Greeley Papers. Been interviewed by Associated Press, United Press International, um, and two of the three network television stations in Denver. At which point I went upstairs and reported that this is what had happened, gave her a copy of the story we had aired, and um, <clears throat> indicated that my, my advisory board wanted to come and speak to the issue the next morning. Uh, the next day uh, we went to the trustee meeting, um, and this was 2001, there wasn't much email at the time. Um, by that time, nearly 500 people had sent emails protesting the sale. And to the credit of the president's staff at the time, um, they had made copies of every email for every member of the board. And so they had about a ream of paper in front of them. Some of them I don't think knew what email was at the, in that era. Uh, but they had all these messages. And we had about 30 people show up. <clears throat> And uh, the chair of the board, Dick Momfort, uh, to his credit, allowed everybody time to have their say. Dick normally moved the meetings pretty quickly. Uh, at the end of the discussion, then-President Hank Brown indicated that uh, he didn't think that there was any place to turn to except to Colorado Public Radio to sell the station um, and that he was trying to streamline the university. The Board of Trustees made the decision that they would put out an RFP and give us 20 days. Uh, what is an RFP? A request for proposal. Uh, <clears throat> the board indicated they would put out a request for proposal uh, to sell the license of KUNC. When we, when we left the room, we knew we had 20 days to try and come up with a counterproposal. Uh, to call Republic Radio's bid. Uh, reporters there are wanting to talk to me, but I said, first I need to thank the people who showed up with about, you know, less than 18 hours notice that this was happening. A woman stepped forward and said, I am a non-traditional student, a single mother, and the university is abdicating public service, and that's wrong. Here's a check for two or three hundred dollars that I want you to use to buy the license but you can't cash it till the end of February because it's my tax return and I haven't gotten my tax return yet <laughs> which really set the stage because this was said in front of all the reporters um, as I said we quickly formed the next day a group meeting uh, headed by Pat Thomas and Nancy D'Albagaria and Nancy had the great line that um we have 20 days to try and save KUNC for the community. 
We couldn't get an April with 30 days. We couldn't get a March with 31 days. We couldn't even get a leap year with 29 days. We have 20 days till the end of February to come up with our proposal. We met on a Saturday morning as a community group. Uh, members that have been part of the advisory board, which quickly disbanded, became friends of KUNC. Um, Stowe Whitworth, a longtime attorney, really came because he said, if, if, if I don't show up and help, uh, Maggie's going to make me sleep in the barn for the next year because she's sitting at home in tears. Julie Johnson Hafner came representing the Community Foundation, now the Well Community Foundation, and offered that she would um, uh, be able to the foundation to collect all the money, put it into the bank account, and guarantee everybody would get a tax break uh, uh, as a nonprofit organization. Our friends Pat and Scott Thomas immediately said, we'll cover all administrative costs so if the bid is not successful, um, everybody will get 100% of their money back. Um, and uh, we, we began, and it was with the understanding that we were not going to take pledges, because pledges don't, you can't write a check based on pledges. In 20 days, we collected in excess of $2 million, and were able to uh, purchase the license of KUNC and become a community radio for Northern Colorado doing business as KUNC in the summer of, of 2001 literally hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of contributions. Uh, we did receive a million dollar gift, the first ever million dollar gift to public radio uh, from a couple who never sought any publicity. They said eventually it'll come out and okay, but we don't want any credit, do not name studios for us, etc. Um, and we're very quiet and private and uh, it was kept a secret uh, until, until the dust more or less settled. We had uh, kids contributing $5. My engineer talked to a, a retired school teacher who made a $5,000 contribution. And Larry, being Larry, said, geez, that's a lot of money. How did this come about? And, and the woman answered, I have saved over the years because I always knew there would be some time where there would be something that was really important that I needed to help with, and this is it. And I could tell you dozens of stories like that. One of the very public gifts we received was from our friend Tom Sutherland. Tom had been uh, a professor at Colorado State University for many years and was teaching in Beirut when he was taken hostage for a number of years, uh, held hostage in Beirut, uh, eventually released, and is a much, was a much, still is for many of us, a much beloved figure. Uh, and uh, one of the most remarkable human beings I've ever known. He publicly pledged $250,000, which empowered a lot of people to think maybe they can raise that kind of money, not knowing we already had a million in the bank. Uh, and if, if it's good enough for Tom, it's good enough for us. But it was everywhere from $5 out of piggy banks to a million dollars, and we raised over $2 million cash in 20 days and ended up with a license. Huge thanks to Neil Best for coming by the foundation and sharing his story. We still have this local news radio station thanks to his stepping up and leading, along with our entire community, coming to the rescue and supporting the cause. We talked about this idea of listening to local news last episode on the show during my interview with my neighbor to the left of me, Dr. Bennett Edgerly. If you haven't heard it yet, please listen in. It was an episode titled, We Work Out and Go to Therapy. By the way, I hope to feature my neighbor on the right, Adam, 
in an upcoming episode. I had asked Bennett if we were to put together a localizing 101 graphic, bullet points on the top things that you could do to really belong to your city or county, what would they be? And one of Bennett's big ones was to turn off the TV, which when it comes to news gives you that 10,000 feet up nation and world perspective. Turn off the TV and find some local news to know what's happening right here. Listening in can be a great way to truly belong to your community. And since Weld County doesn't have a central television news station, KUNC is a great way to stay informed. You can go to KUNC.org for more information, or you can tune in to 91.5. All right, so far we've heard from Lexi, a high school student rallying people to participate in a 5K, and from Neil, a one-time University Northern Colorado employee who raised money to keep a radio station local. Now, I want to offer a different kind of story, though still along with our theme. One in which someone is worried over the dynamics at a dinner and how those invited responded during the meal. Up next is Lisa Taylor. She's a friend of mine, and when I heard her tell this story, I thought this would be great to share. So we sat down to talk. I asked her to give a short intro about herself first. She's the executive director of the Immigrant and Refugee Center right here in Northern Colorado. Actually, probably one of my favorite episodes of Weld Found is titled The Welcome Wagon, and it tells some incredible stories from the IRC. Check it out if you haven't. Here's Lisa, first telling us a bit about herself, and then she tells us about a Thanksgiving dinner she hosted, where the people seated around the table were from all different walks of life. I'm Lisa Taylor. I'm the executive director of the Immigrant and Refugee Center of Northern Colorado. IRC NOCO wants to help connect and empower and advocate. Ultimately, what we want is to see healthy integration of our immigrant community. And by that, we mean we want to create an environment in which our immigrant and refugee neighbors get to retain all of the uniqueness and the heritage and the autonomy of their culture and their background. We also want to give them the tools that they need and opportunities that they need to be able to thrive and become solvent, become successful, become fulfilled um, in the Northern Colorado landscape, be it economically or workforce or educationally. And so there's a lot of services around language acquisition and citizenship prep and workplace readiness and then advocacy efforts. So ultimately, what can we do to help connect to either provide the resource that our neighbors with immigrant and refugee status need, or how can we connect them and refer them to resources that could be helpful? But it's not just about serving immigrants and refugees in that direct service way. You know, I can't highlight enough how much we are as a community, as an organization, and for me as an individual, a beneficiary of the presence of immigrants and refugees in this community. So part of our work at IRC NOCO is also really outward advocacy um, oriented to where how can we make sure that our community understands you know, some of the the narrative around refugee resettlement, some of the legality and the legislative background of it. And if we look at it from a quantitative perspective, how do we um, put numbers to what our immigrant and refugee neighbors bring to a community when they live there? 
And what's that return on investment in both ways we can measure and then some of those more anecdotal ways that we know we've just been enriched as a people because we get to meet people with whom uh, we have similarities and also drastic differences in terms of background and stuff. So it's fun work. <laughs> so, good. so several years ago, uh, I had some former students who were immigrants and refugees who didn't have a place to go over Thanksgiving. And I had a couple of friends like they, like me, um, had family in other states. And so a lot of us go home for Christmas, but on Thanksgiving, we stay in Colorado. So I had this kind of hodgepodge. And where's home for you? Home is Arkansas. Go Razorbacks, woo pig suey. Uh, and so, yeah, I had this kind of hodgepodge group of friends that I wanted to get together and let's share a meal and and just hang out play some games have some fun and so I was in in no way being strategic and just inviting people as it came up organically that they didn't have Thanksgiving plans and before I knew it um, there was a small group of folks coming over and I, I just started thinking through wow this is a, a very random group of people and they're there will be an atheist at the table, a Muslim at the table, and uh, some very conservative Christians at the table, and some liberal Christians at the table, and and, um, and that's one, just religion. And that was just the religion part. One, I wasn't even sure where where she was coming from from a religious perspective. We, we hadn't quite gotten there yet, so that was just religion. And then there was like, you know, one of my buddies is a you know a staunch like NRA card carrying, you know, proud member of uh, the Republican Party and uh, another buddy who I don't know if anyone is farther left than him and, and everywhere in the middle. And I just felt anxiety all of a sudden around how can I just make sure this doesn't go sideways um, you know, plenty of family Thanksgivings go sideways. Um, but most people, most families, you know what you're walking into in that. And I just wasn't sure what this looked like. And so I actually sort of did like a, a mini profile in my mind of each of the people who would be there and what their interests are. And I made a list of topics that I felt like would be safe and universally applicable so that anytime there was a lull in conversation or if things started to take a turn, I could quickly like bring us back to one of these, uh, one of these topics, you know, that I had, um, which, you know, upon reflection was so silly and really more than any more than the character of my guest that speaks to my own need to control things and to make sure everything is okay um, because what happened of course when each of them arrived was introductions happened and then natural free-flowing conversation occurred I never had to resort to my list I never felt like oh goodness, this could be going down, you know, a, a dark hole. I, I never felt like I had to manage the situation because there was a, a shared experience. There was safety. There was security. Um, at the very minimum, they all knew that I loved and cared about them. So there was at least a common thread of, you know, we're Lisa's friend. Um, but I, I was just, I hate to say that I was, you know, proud of or impressed by the, the 
sense of humanity that everyone shared. It shouldn't have shocked me, um, but it did, and it was really a relief. And I guess I, I look back on that so many years ago, and I wonder, how do I replicate that? How do I create that space, like in my life? How do I create that space at IRC NOCO? How do I create that space when I'm having conversations in the community? Like, what could I do so that people felt like at peace and welcome and that uh, you know during that shared experience that all of the divisive things that might exist between us just really become so peripheral so secondary to our reason for gathering or the things we we do share this after after we talked um, a couple weeks ago and one of the things um, I don't quite know how to put words to it but it feels like they are friends of yours first and they are entering as guests in your home no matter where they're coming from within their life and value systems and and religion and how they voted and um, and so like it, it made me think of like how angry people get when that is trespassed of like of like you're a guest in my home you know like because i'm sure that's been shouted at thanksgiving dinners before sure. right like of like course like i invited you here you know um and, and so there's this understanding that we like put on this identity of kind of a best foot forward when when our friends invite us into their home and how um how we're going to interact and how we're going to be gracious people mm-hmm. to others and I thought about that in terms of, you know, this podcast world found in particular is, is asking the question of, of, like, how do you form good community? How do you form belonging? And there are these moments where we, we probably need to step out with this graciousness. And, and like, uh, someone like you is doing your best to create these spaces where that can happen in a natural way. And, uh, and I was thinking about, like, my block. Like, like my block, we're all kind of stepping out on that on that first step of like hey my um my political leanings or or like my value systems here they they are very core to me they're important Mm -hmm. to me but they're also like number three or four compared to the number one identity that i need to lead with Mm -hmm. that i need to step into Mm -hmm. um which is i'm your neighbor Mm -hmm. i'm your neighbor um or i belong to Greeley, Colorado, or I belong to Weld County. And, and like, that's my, that's what I'm going to lead with. That's what mm-hmm. I'm going to step forward with because I want to acknowledge it. Like, Hey, I'm, I'm a guest here. And, and mm-hmm. then like, I, I am, this I, I'm a gracious entering into a realm of space where we're all experiencing this together. Yeah. Lisa and I continued our conversation and hit on how there's a tension that comes with living in community that it's difficult work to head towards belonging. And you can tell by who Lisa invites around her table. She's an expert. (laughs) She's an expert when it comes to working through the tension and heading towards belonging. It makes sense that she's the executive director of a nonprofit that welcomes people of completely different culture and worldview and life experience into our region. So I asked her, when do you stop inviting someone into the community? Or, or when do you ask them to leave the table? How do you live alongside those who vocally disagree and even to hurtful levels? 
How do you navigate that sort of tension? She had great wisdom on this, and we'll close our conversation with Lisa here today. I don't think there's like a standard universal way that we can approach these situations that will be true for everyone at any time. And I think it's most assuredly the case that in interpersonal relationships, if there if there's a difference of values and worldview that causes harm and toxicity in a relationship, and there's been an attempt to repair that to no avail, I mean, I think there is a time, you know, to walk away, to, to break community. Um, but I, I feel like you have to, in life, you have to earn your way out of conversations. You have to earn your way out of relationships. Like you have to do everything you can do to speak truth in love and, and to find common ground and move forward. Like you owe it to yourself. You owe it to that person. You owe it to the cause that you're laboring on behalf of to do that relational work. And I think that's that's really the key, Tim. Like when it's when it's a stranger with whom I vehemently disagree, you know, I, I have to make a conscious decision on is this a battle I can fight right now where there's a win to be had? And if there's not a win, then I wanna put my time and energy into the places where I can make up ground. And I'm in no way saying, you know, you fight the fights you can win. You fight the fights that are worth fighting for. Big thanks to Lisa Taylor, helping people feel welcomed at the table. May we all rise to the occasion too, as good guests here together and fight those fights worth fighting for. I wanna stay on the subject of the table for our last story. And I wanna head back to that localizing 101 idea too. Do you have a favorite restaurant in Weld County? I keep a note on my phone, an ongoing list that my wife and I are always adding to when it comes to our favorite local eats. But we're foodies and we love eating out and supporting our community in this way. I would include this idea in the localizing 101 guide choose some favorite locally owned restaurants and enjoy being a patron. What an excellent and delicious way to belong to where you live, right? We actually started this list on my phone when the pandemic brought the first lockdown. At the top of our favorites was a little shop on 16th Street, Le Petit French Bakery. Bettany and I and the kids love getting chocolate croissants there. Really, they make all sorts of breads and desserts and delights. The bakery was at the top of our list and also the first to close during the pandemic. Around June of 2020, a sign was on the door saying, thanks for the patronage. We were fairly certain they'd close their doors for good. When a local restaurant you care about shuts its doors, it can feel like such a loss, can't it? What once brought joy and connection is gone, and it's often felt across the whole community. And you can sense it. It's like the death of a dream for the owner, too. That's why in December of 2020, Bettany and I were overjoyed when we saw Fett, the owner of the French bakery, opening things back up. Our last story about the community coming to the rescue, I wanted to highlight a simple idea, the local restaurant. One person has a dream, an idea, and steps out, and the community steps up. Hello, how's it going? Good, good. I came into Chef Fed's bakery and just asked him some quick questions while picking up croissants. Here's the chef. 
It's hard to run a small business, you know that. Yeah. What drew, what drew you to baking in general? Because this is well, such since a... Since I was a kid. Yeah. Yeah, no, I was born to become this. <laughs> and and the, that, that's going to answer this. Yeah. When you try this, this one, it's uh, filled with figs. Yeah. I've done some uh, custom order for some people that they are doing tea party. Oh, okay. So, when you try this, that will answer your question. In the morning, this we're gonna start the morning off with. Yeah. I'm from I'm from West Africa, so okay. we eat these stuff and stuff like a lot. So okay. I was I'm happy I found something like this, you know. So, Do you think it is over sweet or no, I don't make things over sweet? That's good. That's good. It's perfect. Yeah. That's why I'm coming every day. Thank you so much, thank you. I appreciate it. Merci, monsieur. Yeah, I've been doing uh, as a job, as a career for 22 years. Yeah. yeah. So I uh, I went to Cordon Bleu, I went to Escoffier, I went to uh, Bedouet Conseil, so I went to three different gastronomic uh, culinary schools in France, in yeah. Paris. A customer told me, and I love how he said that he feel like the French bakery is staple to the community. Yeah. And I love that. Yes. I think that was one of the best things I heard in 2021. Yes. Because he met... I did sit down and I and I was like, uh, wow, somebody see that a bakery has that influence. I like yeah. that. No, it, it's it's an integral part. It, yeah. Like it is, um, it's special. It is, it's a breaking of bread. Yeah. Like, like it's it's a it's a huge part of the community. So eventually, I don't know. I think we're, you know, I think in any small business, uh, we're gonna pass this phase. We're almost to the final yeah. phase. Yeah, that's right. We are almost to the final phase. Yeah, that's right. I'm optimistic. I think. Uh, as I, as I learned within my own experience, we should never ever give up easy. Yeah. There's a hope. Yeah. And the uh, hope, uh, it's not only on the heart, uh, the hope it's on the belief. You have to believe in the hope. Yes. So and I think people, they sense that, that we didn't give up. We then open uh, the door and uh, people, they still coming back and, uh, and there's a great support. So. And, you know, I think everybody deserves a chance to pursue their uh, dreams. Yes, yeah. So my wife bakes bread. Um, every Thursday she has a sourdough starter that she uses uh, mm -hmm. to bake bread. Um, what are, like what is something that you would say is a, uh, just a helpful hint or tip that you would tell her to be aware of as she's, as she's making bread? Don't follow the recipe. Okay. Yes. Because what it does, the flour, uh, the flour they're putting on the recipe, it's not the same. Let's say that the book it comes from Germany, as an example, or from uh, somewhere else. They process flour different than America. Okay. Yeah. And the yeast, it's different than here. So there's yeah. all, the elements. There's water, yeast, and flour. Three ingredients that makes the bread. And it's a lifetime experience. Yeah. And the, all those three ingredients, they're different. Yeah. The water, it's from New York, it's not the same like Colorado. Okay. So there's the, if she scales things from the book, she's not gonna succeed. Because the reason it's different. So I think it just don't follow the recipe. Use the, the common ground, you're gonna fail one time, and two, three, four, till you succeed with the recipe. Yeah. That is my secret to it. You follow the recipe, you'll make it. Yes. So she have to fail, 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 till she come up with the right amount. So. Yeah, that's and I good. And I'm serious, I'm, I think that's how, I'm sharing this with everybody. And I don't believe that I know it all, every day I learn, and I learn from my mistakes myself too. Yeah. Um, so I, I think uh, it's, a, it's a lifetime career. Yeah. So sometimes you do things and you know some days where you'd be like, oh my God, you could, uh, you know, you'd be like, oh, I could do it different, finally, so. Merci, thank you so much. Thank you. You can enjoy the French bakery's goods daily. It's on 16th Street and 10th Avenue.
across from UNC's campus. You won't be disappointed. I'll close with this today. What an enjoyable episode this was to put together. Community Comes to the Rescue, four stories where the people involved make all the difference. There was Lexi, her community runs in her 5K. And then Neil Best, his community keeps a radio station alive. Lisa Taylor, her community makes Thanksgiving a special one. And then last, Chef Fed, his community keeps his business open. Friends, how do we truly belong to this place where we live? We participate in things like 5Ks. We donate to the causes we believe in. We bring our best selves to the table and we buy local. Who's going to come to the rescue and make this community incredible? It's you and I, friends. It's you and I. Extra help today with sound engineering from Dave Farrell, professor at Ames Community College. And a big thank you to the Weld Community Foundation who makes this show possible. Weldcommunityfoundation.org for more information. Like us and rate us on Apple Podcasts. Share us with a friend. And as always, thanks for listening to Weld Found.